0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivilevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I know you're waiting for our tagline, 40 years or of. It's coming. But first, you've heard me on this platform touting NRS, a great company whose many dedicated employees I get to see in action. NRS Pay has recently launched its new cost-cutting program called Cash Discount. The way it works is, Any vendor using NRS Pay Cash Discount has their sale register tabulating automatically a dual pricing, which offers customers a choice of a cash payment, which could result in an up to 4% discount over swiping their card. If your business meets the $18,000 a month threshold, there's absolutely no monthly fee to incur. NRS Pay Cash Discount makes it less expensive to accept credit cards, so you'll save money while helping your customers save at the same time. NRS is offering a time-limited deal right now on this state-of-the-art system. You'll get a free card reader with zero hidden fees, no long-term contract, and no early termination fee, which means you can switch your processing plan without penalty. NRS Pay is a proud part of the IDT corporation that I've been associated with for over 10 years and has integrity built into its corporate DNA. I know its founder, its officers, and salespeople, and they truly stand by their product and will help you with live, state-side-based customer service on any issue or question. Check nrspay.com for more information or call 833-289-2767. And now, Emeritus Rex. 75 years into Medina Cisro, 40 years and plus for... The rabbinical career of the great Ruve Yeshua Pupko, emeritus rex indeed. Rabbi Pupko, we are here uh, this sort of a penultimate week of 2024. I mean, at least we don't have the, the Hanukkah-Christmas overlap, which I think is very good. Uh, I think when Hanukkah and Christmas
1: overlap, it's... I mean, it overlaps for a reason, historically. I mean, you know, because the, the rabbi censored the Book of the Maccabees and didn't put it in Tanakh, Oh, the book of the Maccabees, you know, it, it, I mean, there's things there that people, a lot of people should know, which is that the, ba- you know, the base of victors was taken from us during the pagan holiday of Saturnalia, right? The Gemara Nevotazara talks about the solstice pagan uh, festivities. And, uh, and the book of the Maccabees makes it clear that it was retaken as a rejection. Of paganism by the hand of God, obviously, that we got it back during their chugen, during their holiday. Several hundred years later, with the new religion, the you know the, the Christians, the early Christians, went to the pagans to convert. The pagans said, "We love you know baby Jesus. We'll buy the whole thing, except we want our old holiday." So they said, "All right, keep your holidays. Just make it about Yashka."
0: Right. So they tethered the the idea uh, of a human savior you know, in a sort of monotheistic way, but they tethered it, as you said, to the holiday that sort of uh, celebrates the fact that the winter stosis did not result in the complete darkening of the planet to the point that we are going to go into entropy. And therefore, it's sort of a holiday because you have the spark that uh, the the days are getting longer. And I think that's sort of the idea of Saturnalia, and, uh, I guess that has been become the idea of Christmas as well. You know, we've talked in the past, Rabbi Pupko, about the environs in which you preside and rule in Montreal. And you've talked about it, how it is a very um, Catholic Christian country, especially the Quebec where you are. Again, are you as a rabbinic leader asked to, um, to issue holiday greetings to the other r- religious leaders in the community?
1: Uh No, absolutely not. What Quebec is the most interesting place in North America from a religious perspective, because it is, at the one hand, passionately anti-religious, on the other hand, deeply Catholic, which is a paradox. In, in other words, the Catholic heritage of the province is a vital component of Quebec identity, but it is a passionately anti-religious populace. The churches are empty. Uh, You know, I know the guy in the Catholic, uh, you know, in the, in the Catholic hierarchy, whose full time job is selling churches. There are Jewish weddings in former Catholic churches that have been turning to catering halls all the time here. And that's part of the reason they pass these bills against that really targeting Muslims, but a collateral damage on Jews about wearing, you know, religious garb. If you're a you know, if, if you have certain jobs in government. It's like France that way. There are certain laws against wearing a hijab in certain uh, arenas of life because they're passionately anti-religious. Uh, and they see the Muslim immigrant as attempting to pull them back to a Quebec past where religion played a central role and, and Quebec revolted against. That was a silent revolution in the 60s, where one day the churches were packed and the next day they were empty. And there continues to be terrible resentment against the Catholic church. On the other hand, they don't want to see the Catholic heritage kind of erased. In other words, still a few years ago, there was a crucifix handing in the, is hanging in the National Assembly. That's, you know, the American equivalent is the state legislature. And they, they took it down because they didn't want to be flamboyantly inconsistent when they banned religious symbols in other places.
0: Can, can I have you, can, can we rewind a second to something that you said, which rang a halachic bell within my mind? And that was that the churches... The, that were abandoned have been sold
1: to either Jewish synagogues or Jewish catering outlets.
0: Is that what you said?
1: They were not sold to synagogues. I don't know any cases like that, but I, but cases where they have been turned by others into catering halls, which Jews sometimes use. I wouldn't call them Jewish catering halls. Right. There, there is a, 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 long longstanding debate and Simon Kufman in,
0: Dalet in, in Shulchan Aruch, uh, between the Mogan Avram Avraham, there because it seemed that in in, 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 that, in that period where the Mogan of says the minig was to be Mako, where shuls bought old churches, they, it wasn't like what we have, the proliferation of money to build our own buildings. They had to actually use some of these churches. And the question was, of course, what was in the building? Did, did the building house actually a crucifix or was it just like a meeting house? By the way, the
1: Catholics have a ceremony where they go to – they're selling a church. There's a Catholic ritual where they go to the church to desacralize it. So, so
0: actually, in halacha, Rabbi Popko, the selling itself by a non-Jew, the fact that you are looking at what this item that meant so much to you for your service to your God is now just considered a means of cash, is called halachically bital avodazara. The selling right. itself is the Beetle. And we know incredibly, and this is something which I think our, our our Jewish apostates should hear about, the non-Jew's ability to sort of cancel the the toxicity of Avodazara is 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 there. Whereas if a Jew serves Avodazara, that, that Avodazara is completely bound to to the Jew and can never be eliminated. A Jew cannot be Mavato, which shows you really when we go, we go all the way to a point that that can never be rehabilitated.
1: No, no, but listen, the more common halachic question in North America is the opposite. It's the opposite. Yes, of course. Churches, I mean, which isn't allowed, but it's done all the time. Well, again,
0: it really depends. Again, once again, it, it really depends. This is, you're sort of in my wheelhouse now, you know, we're not often in my wheelhouse, but today you are. I
1: love your wheelhouse. I've always found your wheelhouse quite a comfortable and inviting.
0: <laughs> yes. yes. Well, I'll, I will let you curl up, uh, by the, by the heath <laughs> and I will feed you scraps from the table in the wheelhouse. Um, but again, Rebusar is when the Trumasadeshan was pushed to the wall, uh, because of the rampant using of parts of shoals for, uh, for other things. And what he came up with was this idea that many of the shuls that were built, especially as you know, the ones in Chutzlartz were built on a tenai and therefore, even if they didn't say that when they built it, so they would be able to sell even to a church. An interesting case that I think the 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 maram uh, of Lublin was involved in, where the Jews had their shul outside of the city gates. And then they were finally given more of a citizenship and they were able to come back in. And then they had this shul that was sitting out there that nobody was using and, and, and that it was almost – it made sense. Like, as you know, the, he said, in such a situation, you can sell it even to a church because, of course, if nobody's using it, now you have this right. building. And I think this is what you have in so many communities where Jews have moved to more upscale neighborhoods.
1: I know you had a lot in the 60s and 70s when Jews were moving out of the urban centers into suburbs.
0: Right. I, I didn't want to say that, but actually I live in New Jersey, which is really the heart of that type of activity. As we know, once the New, the Newark riots of 67 right. basically caused a, a complete revolution in, in Jewish life, the Wikweak section that Philip Roth extolled so wonderfully in the plot against America and in other works – became completely uh, abandoned, as did many other communities. I drive through these streets often, and I see these, you can see from the facades of the building that they were shuls, and they have now become various types of churches. And again, I think you have to rely
1: on the heterim. Well, in my limited experience in this matter, because um it, what I've noticed is that shuls in Montreal and the old neighborhood that have become churches is to avoid problems of a lachic nature they wouldn't directly sell to the church. They would sell it to the bank and the bank would sell to the church. They would always, you know, that's the kind of thing that would happen.
0: Yeah, I assume that that's, that, that, that perhaps makes it even better. Uh, it is, of course, sad when we see this because we realize how fragile our
1: neighborhoods are. I don't think it's sad. I don't think it's sad when people li- when Jews leave poor neighborhoods and move to wealthier neighborhoods. It's not like somebody expelled us. We got up and moved to nicer neighborhoods. That's all.
0: Well, yes and no. There, You
1: know, especially... Oh, so it's especially, sad to see the labors of Jews go for other purposes. No question. Uh, but again, it's, it's, you know, it's not that Kilmanisky came and we were... No, no, you I, know, I,
0: I understand. But, but it was urban flight. There was a sense that, you know, we aren't safe here. There was a sense that, uh, you know, since Newark was so proportionately African-American, black at the time, that the same way that they had sacked the Jewish businesses and, right. and and betrayed many of their Jewish friends. There was an idea that we have to
1: run away because we are going to be taken over, and and that I think I don't know. I, I, It was also just simple. It was uh, Americans were moving to suburbs, the Jews moved along with them. It wasn't just you know violence that triggered it. Uh,
0: yes, but that is a little more glacier like. What occurred here was was a mass. Exodus. I mean, look at
1: Philadelphia, which I know a little bit because my, both my grandfathers were rabbis of Philadelphia. The old Jewish neighborhood of Winfield is now an African-American community. My Zayda's old schools are churches today. But the Jews moved outside. You know, they moved, they, they moved to nicer neighborhoods. I'm not in any way reluctant to talk about subjects I know very little about. Yes, well, that's that's been your
0: basically – that's been your modus operandi for the last, <laughs> I think, 50 – 50 something years and plus 40 years of rough, 55 years of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, again, we talk about, we talk about obviously the, and this is a time really to talk about the interrelationship between Jews and Christians. I'll tell you what, 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 what really gets my gourd. And maybe we can use this to talk about what's happening today in the world. You know, I noticed that although there was clearly a hesitancy, uh, although we talked about the Hanukkah party last week, um, there was a hesitancy for Jews to, to light uh, a publicly. There was, of course, a number of Hanukkah that were defaced in various places. In Williamsburg, Virginia, they said, we're not putting one up. Some places in Vermont, they, they, they draped a Palestinian flag. Again, my, my point is though, America, although it's so multicultural and so diverse, every single thing you turn to even in this multicultural diverse liberal country there's no problem about christmas christmas christian I'm, i'm in no way troubled
1: by it i don't know why i know it bothers people it doesn't bother
0: me at all but i'm saying it's almost it should be like a relic considering how we don't want to step on any transgender person's toes and yet we we bombard the airwaves with Christmas carols, Christmas songs, Christmas movies, Christmas. Every single radio station talks about uh, Christmas and Christianity. It's almost like, okay, don't they realize you have the the Islamic population, the population that are agnostics? Forget about the small percentage of, of Jews and others. There's no need to apologize at all for the complete Christian soaking in the
1: Christian hot lava. Isn't that interesting? I I, I don't know where you get these ideas. I I love Christmas in New York, the Rockefeller Center, the storefronts. I I am no way troubled or feel threatened by it. The majority of the country is still Christian. Let them have their holiday. Right, but
0: to the point that it's so much in the face, the fact that it's so public, the fact that it's so overwhelming. Here's an example. Uh, I listen to classical music almost continuously. It helps me work. It helps me learn. And during the Christmas season, it's always caroling, Handel's Messiah, Ode to Joy, which which are beautiful. But on the other hand, I, I, you would think that in the DEI era, despite the fact that the Christian majority is there, right, we know that the old African cultures Christianity was imposed on them. Christianity was something that was imposed upon the slaves. It seems like Santa and 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 is on his perch in the North Pole and can no way be sullied. That snow is still pure. And Tim Allen is gonna make another 20 sequels till he is in in the grave. So I, it's sort of interesting that Christmas has not really been so affected by this DEI Meshagas. Hanukkah was so
1: low-key this year, and I think you got to admit it was. Listen, i I, okay, I got a couple of things to say. I read a fascinating article just this morning about New York in 1906. Because you remember the big conflict in America until the 50s and 60s was like, oh, my God, there's a Christmas pageant in school, And my kid, who's Jewish, is has to sit alone or participate. This is a source of a lot of conflict for decades. And in 1906, there was a mass walkout of Jewish students from school, public schools in New York. In 1906, they had the chutzpah to say, no more. You talk about Jews in 1906 in New York. It wasn't like they were that powerful at all. And they walked out and things were adjusted. You know, this was allowed. This wasn't allowed that, you know. They they try to tone down the religious aspect of the Christmas celebration. I know that might sound strange to Jews, but, you know, there are certain symbols that are more redolent of of, of religion than others. And um, there was a mass walkout. Uh, yeah, sure. A lot of Jewish kids for decades were put in very uncomfortable positions around Christmas time in public schools. I don't, you, you don't hear that conflict so much anymore for a variety of reasons. I think schools are more sensitive to diversity. But in the public square, the majority of the country celebrating Christmas. Why should we be the ones in any way trying to, uh, uh, to take away, uh, their uh, holiday? Again, it, it
0: isn't so much that I want to take away. It's a double standard, and, and I don't want to get into Samuel Samuel Alito's uh, ruling about uh, the the public square of the menorah being a religious symbol or not. We that it, it's really more the feeling that yes, public signs of your religion
1: is an indic is something we need to squash. But where do you where do you see the public signs of anyone's religions being squashed in America?
0: Again, I I, I mentioned those anecdotes about aspects.
1: All right, that's this year with the with the war. But again, generally speaking, you don't have, and they weren't being squashed. Listen, you, you had protests around it. I I don't think the Palestinian. Supporters in America are doing themselves any favor by protesting at Rockefeller Center during the Christmas tree lighting or the Macy's Day Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. I think they're hurting themselves. I think it's an attempt on their part to flex their muscles and intimidate. And I don't think anyone's feeling intimidated. Again, generally speaking, especially since the you know there's that movement. I always forget their name in uh, from Crown Heights. Um, oh yeah, Chabad that likes to put up uh, menorahs. In public squares at the behest of their previous, uh, previous leader whose uh, employment was terminated due to his death, where they put up these uh, menorahs to compete with, which is not a Jewish thing at all. I mean, we all know what Shulchan Aruch says, presuming Isa today, uh, is in the B'nai bias is for your house. And I mean, this whole idea of putting in the public square is, a, you know, is certainly not, 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 not a traditionally Jewish. Uh, things you do, but all right, they do it. You know, it's pretty harmless. But but, it, but, I don't think we should be perceived at all as competing. The DEI attack can be made
0: very solidly about Christianity and its history. And it's interesting how that the, I think the universalistic sort of like, I wouldn't call it dumbing down, but the sort of humanistic way of viewing Christmas, I think, allows it to 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 have... A, a certain currency everywhere, because yeah, it's about goodwill. It's about being nice. It's about giving giving donations, and obviously things that come from inherent Jewish morality. You know, let, let's move from from life here in you know around Christmas to life in Eretz Yisrael, where there's always a a, a tendency on, on, on the part of the news services. Uh, to overstate the significance of of bad stories, as we know, that otherwise people don't tune into the news. But there have been a number of of incidents lately of Israeli soldiers sort of showing a lack of discipline. Obviously, they are engaged in a terrible battle, a war where their friends are dying, and it's horrible. And yet uh, there have been behaviors, whether it's in Gaza or in the West Bank, that have really not reflected well on the
1: discipline of the IDF? Let me me address two of them. One one of them was the heartbreaking tragedy that, you know, the more you think about it, it just filled with sadness to those those poor hostages who managed to survive 70 days uh, in captivity who were then killed by their own soldiers uh, in a horrible, horrible incident a few days ago. And apparently there was a miscommunication or lack of communication between two different units, and uh, you have a bunch of young people, young men, who are forced to be in the worst place in the world. And every, all of our hearts should break for each and every soldier You know that our boys have to be in Gaza under horrendous circumstances where people popping out of buildings and tunnels. And, of course, you're scared and you're nervous and your finger's on the trigger. And if Al-Tahdenes Reveh Rehach was written for anything, it was written for this moment right we we can't judge there no, nobody who hasn't served can't judge there are also mitigating factors that aren't being publicized there were apparently incidents of Hamas fighters pretending to surrender waving white flags who who then, who then who then tried to attack soldiers so again i i, I don't it's, n- n- nobody who who wasn't there can can judge this but it's just a heartbreaking situation the other incident which is where uh it was in Janine, and there was some sort of
0: military actions that were being taken. You can hear the gunshots outside. And uh, a couple of soldiers entered this mosque, and uh, clearly a went to the, I guess it's called the mezzanine, the microphone that is used to call to prayers, and you know, basically uh, did the, uh, the Yom Kippur Nusach of Shema Yisrael Hashem Melkeidu Hashem Echod, and um, Hashem Akim. So, so this was sort of like a very
1: playful, I guess tasteless display. Okay. Let, let's, let's, let's remember the Israeli cabinet did not have a meeting and vote and decide to sing Shema in a mosque. Okay. That's not what happened here. Yeah. Israeli soldiers in the midst of a 60 hour battle in the, in their, in the, in the back alleys of Janine. Uh, one of them, they, they, they were in a mosque. And one of them started singing and other people, you know, joined in. This was not a thoughtful decision or a policy, right? This is the exuberance and recklessness of youth and uh, who are put in a terrible position of having to be in a horrible place, undertaking a task. Ultimately for the defense of the state of Israel and the Jewish people. Yeah. All right. Maybe they did something wrong. Maybe they breached a religious etiquette, but the mosque wasn't burnt down. The mosque wasn't desecrated. They sang a song. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, it'd be better if, if they hadn't done it, probably. I mean, you know, nobody needs images of, of, of Jewish kids, you know, looking like they're engaged in a, in an act of religious supremacism. No, 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 nobody needs to see that. However, you know, let's keep it in context. No, These no, are-
0: obviously, but we know that double standard is in effect. Let's also say how the, the IDF issues a statement immediately condemning it, and there will be disciplinary action taken. And let's give the kudos to Rabbi Tzach Yosef, who penned the letter immediately on Zeitz Hanukkah about This action and others like it that he says that really – and he says, But we all know how these incidents that are become part of – in social media will be used, exploited to the point. There's going to be made a a comparison between them and showing them eh, you have here and you have there. Rabbi Yitzchak Yosef condemned it. And he said it shouldn't happen, and especially as it dangerous lives. And what we need to do is be on our super best squeaky clean behavior. But as you're right, you're talking about 450,000 soldiers. And to expect all of them
1: to align to that sort of discipline is almost impossible. I, I, we have to there's a bit of nuance here. I think there were a lot of videos coming out of Gaza where people were lighting Hanukkah candles, putting up mezuzahs. Some idiot even sang, uh, hang a, hung a Chabad house sign on a place in Gaza. I mean, Israel is not a public relations project for American Jews. Israel is a sovereign country. And it's there to, just, and first and foremost, it has to secure the lives and future of its own citizens. And, and, but however, when you're trying to draw a contrast between yourself as an enlightened modern state versus medieval religious radicals, I'm not sure it helps the cause by having the war in any way perceived as having a religious overtone from our, from our side. Listen, Israel's not on a religious crusade in Gaza. Israel is on a military, uh, in a military battle, simply to make sure that what happened on October 7th won't be replicated. That's it.
0: Besides these sort of like going into mosques, and as you called it very accurately, that can be perceived as religious triumphalism, there's also been... A number of sort of ugly images of the Hamas terrorists in their skivvies, you know, completely submissive that Israeli soldiers have allowed into their social media. And and again, this also is clearly a behavior that, that I'm sure the IDF has condemned. The question is, can they get it in line? Again, as much as we love these kids and we cry for them and we know how wonderful they are. Is it possible in in, in 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 the mindset that they have to turn them into the yes sir how high sir marine that only knows discipline? We're talking about reservists who 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 have spent fifteen years sitting you know wherever they were in nightclubs at their in their kiddish clubs in in, in, in in Ramat Bechemish or in Tel Aviv or wherever they are. Can we expect them to now all you know become military
1: regulars? Listen, uh, getting Pales Hamas prisoner. To take off their shirt and pants in a world of suicide bombing is not a a crazy idea. It's
0: the the dissemination of the pictures.
1: It's the picture. So the army then said they wouldn't do it again, whatever. I I think that any normal person looking at that picture says, gee, Israel doesn't kill his prisoners like Hamas does, right? They're all alive and well and being fed. Uh, yeah, for security reasons, they took off their shirts and pants. They had very nice gotges on. You know, it's, you know, the worst things have happened. I, I, I promise you, none of them would exchange their place for an Israeli hostage. And, um, and we know what happened to, you know, what's been happening to Israeli hostages. We know the torture they've that that's, they, they've been subjected to. So, uh, you know, they were alive and well and the pictures don't look great. It looks like they're being publicly and deliberately humiliated. But I have to tell you, there's a benefit to that. Part of this war, is to demoralize uh, Hamas and to demoralize uh, their leadership. And that's what, you know, they blow up their tunnels, they blow up their offices and, and hurting prisoners and publicizing their surrender is a factor in demoralizing the leadership. That has a military reason. All right, but, but you know, again, you have talked a lot about
0: the Palestinian psyche, and it would seem that these demoralizations, especially for a proud Religion like Islam, that at one time, you know, ruled so much of the world, these uh, displays only are matches that are thrown into more gasoline. Somebody who isn't demoralized, who you can defame him and you can, you can be mavaza him. Even I think if you would have pictures of him in his, uh, BVDs, he wouldn't care. That, of course, is the, the presumptive Republican nominee for the president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, who just yesterday, I believe it was voted in the great Rocky Mountain state of Colorado. The Supreme Court there ruled. A uh, four to three that because of his actions on January sixth, he was really guilty of insurrection against the country, and someone who is guilty of insurrection in the country, just like Old Jefferson Davis, uh, post Civil War, cannot hold office, and therefore it, it is illegal for him to be on a ballot to be elected President of the United States. Now, Trump, let us point out, did not win Colorado in 2016, did not win Colorado in 2020. However, It might create a precedent for other states. Is this the opening that DeSantis, who by the way condemned the ruling, and and Haley have been waiting for? Because you've talked about the uh, Trump being indicted, being perhaps what can knock him off his perch. Maybe if enough states decide, hey, hell yeah, let's do this. Maybe it'll be
1: impossible for Trump to even uh, garner the nomination, much less win the election. Listen, I think everybody's strong preference. Again, amongst those who don't think Trump should be president. The strong preference would be that he'd be repudiated at the ballot box rather than in the courthouse. And if he's only, if, he'll, if he loses only because of court actions and court rulings, that will certainly leave his supporters uh, uh, aggrieved in a very, very, uh, uh, serious way. And who knows what that will lead to. Was, was uh, January 6th an insurrection? Was it just a mob? I remember watching TV that day. I would not have called it an insurrection. I, I don't think it was an attempted coup. I think it was an attempt to impede, you know, the, uh, the orderly transfer of power. I don't know if that, you know, rises to the threshold of an insurrection.
0: Right. And, and I think Trump's statements were basically power of, if you'll pardon that expression enough, that in a court of law... With there's a presumption of innocence, it would be hard to prove that he was actually calling
1: for anything except let's march there. I I I think I mean listen to try to figure out Trump's brain is obviously a difficult task, but I think what he wanted to see was a mass demonstration to pressure people like Mike Pence, you know, not 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 to do what they were uh, assigned by the Constitution to do. Uh, I think it was a pressure tactic, and I think it was an attempt, yes, to disrupt the orderly transfer of power there was violence that day um, if you remember watching TV that day most of the images were people walking quietly through the Capitol, right I mean once they were inside outside it was terrible I mean to call these guys an insurrectionist is certainly to you know give them too much credit almost
0: yeah I, I guess my point is is that you know Trump will obviously will, will probably fight this I heard his uh, campaign spokesman uh, Daniel Chung, Say that this was going to clearly go to the Supreme Court, where they would right. where they would overrule things. The question is, you know, it, it, the the polls, and again, we know how terribly fickle these polls are, but they they actually show him winning. Uh, Biden. Uh, we talked about him last week. Let's talk about him again. The New York Times publicized a poll that they were involved in, in creating, which shows that many people in the country—I forget what the percentages—are dissatisfied with Biden's handling of international affairs, specifically the Israel-Gaza war, where it sounds like a a, a majority of the country is not happy with the way Biden is involved in it. There was an article in Haaretz that speculated that perhaps the, it's it runs so deep that it could perhaps cost him the, the, the
1: re-election. I, I want to tell you something. That poll, I read the poll. I read the article. It, to me, the headline was extraordinarily unfair for the following reasons. Number one, whenever you do a poll like that and you don't like a president, right? And, and Biden is way down in the polls. You ask the country how he's handling anything. They'll say they don't like it because he's unpopular. Number two, if you look at the, uh, deep in the article, if you actually get past the headline of the first couple of paragraphs, it also makes it clear that almost no one in America is going to vote for or against Biden because of his handling of Israel, uh, of Israel's efforts in Gaza, right? It's, it's 1% amongst most, amongst the young, it's 3%, even amongst the, the, you know, the, the famously anti-Israel youth. It's only 3% are going to vote on this issue. People are voting on immigration. People are voting on uh, on inflation. People are not voting on on Israel versus Hamas. That's not what they're voting on. So it's a it was an outlandishly misleading headline in in terms of imparting to that poll great consequence. So I yes, I think you you know there's a there's a legitimate argument to be made that this could harm Biden in Michigan, right? Because there's a very large Arab population, and with the The narrow margins of the last two elections, any one state can certainly uh, be decisive. But um, I think by the time the election rolls around, it's not going to be an important issue. So let's talk about your other –
0: another favorite villain of yours, which is the mastermind of so many wins in the National Football League. He could be called the greatest Coach of all time, I know you, you are uh, you are trying to resurrect, exhume the bones of Chuck Knoll at this point, but let's talk about Mr. Bill, I guess William Belichick, who uh, has guided the the New England Patriots to so many Super Bowls and yet it seems now sounds like this is Bill's swan song:
1: I, listen Belichick is you know has always been a satanic force. Uh, he's benefited, uh, you know, from using dark powers in the Sitra opera. and and uh, he's been a criminal his whole career. He's a cheater and a liar, and he's finally being exposed uh, for what he is. That's all.
0: Belichick was the ultimate uh, planner. Dave Moranis wrote a book about Belichick, and it talked about how he planned the incredible upset for of the St. Louis Rams. He 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 re, he realized that it was not Kurt Warner. With his sort of magical abilities to throw the ball around that needed to be stopped. It was that, that, that touchdown machine, that all purpose, incredible one, Marshall Falk. And he recognized that if he can stop Falk, he was able to win the game. And with an, you know, a sort of an unsung, unknown quarterback at the time, although he was having a, a very, very interesting season, Tom Brady, he was able in the last second, to kick that field goal to beat the Rams amazingly and and I think that you know Belichick, Belichick in his in, in his career has seen things he has understood things. I think we, we we could mourn over the fact that
1: everybody, even the greatest, have to sometime uh, retire and uh I, I I am so happy about his defeat and public humiliation that's the only saving grace of this football season is watching Belichick be humiliated and defeated.
0: And and I think what what it also underscores, and I guess this is a a way we could perhaps give ourselves a pat on the back that there's something about that tandem that creates magic, the tandem of of of, of a person who gets the way you think, who's able to like Bart Starr and Vince Lombardi of old, and took it even straighter, you know, Brady and Belichick somehow, as you call them, of course, you know, uh, Satan and uh together, but. They were able to work together. And I think that really shows you that genius is not a work on its own. You know, there there needs to be Motion Aaron, there needs to be Rabbi Pupko and myself, your humble, <laughs> your humble interlocutor, in order to get these programs to work. So take care, my friends. We let us extol the 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 greatness of teamwork in combination, of course, to to all successes. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time. Be well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please take a moment to share this or any of the many episodes available on our platform with friends in order to help grow our community. Until next time, shalom.